0: Again, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look at a picture of true godliness uh, from 1 Timothy 4, 6 down to verse 10, and I'll read it, and it goes like this, he says, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those of those that believe? Let's have a word of prayer before we get started. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for bringing us through another week. You are a gracious God. We ask that you'll guide us through your Word. I ask, especially for a little bit of clarity. I got a lot of distractions going on today. I need clarity as we look at your Word. Guide us through it. Show us how we can be more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, as I say, we're looking at a picture of true godliness, and we're we'll look we're looking at uh, what Paul describes as what a real man of God looks like what his life is going to look like so verse six starts right off with an interesting phrase Uh, he says if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things well what are these these things that he's referring to well obviously that's the last few things we've been looking at lately right Uh, which were anybody remember what we've talked about the last couple of weeks False teaching, that's right. Somebody paid attention. Thank you. Uh, Yes, we've looked at what false teachers and their false teachings look like. Uh, And we compared it to what the true gospel looks like. So, what Paul's saying, if thou keeps these things in remembrance, if Timothy clarifies these things before the believers, then he is being a good minister of Jesus Christ. That's what being a good minister of Jesus Christ means. That implies that if I do the same thing, then I am being a good minister as well. If you do those same things, then you are a good minister as well. See, Paul wants Timothy to be an effective minister. By the way, this is going to be our theme for the next several weeks here, uh, right to the bottom of the chapter, actually. And in order to be an effective minister... He needs to point out the truth as well as pointing out error. They work hand in glove. Now, let's consider this word minister for a minute. It's the word diakonos, which we discussed a great deal in chapter 2 and 3. Paul is calling Timothy a servant here. You recall that's what diakonos really means. It's a servant. Do you think of those in the pastoral role as servants? We ought to. That's the biblical way of looking at it. That's how God looks at it. But too often in this world, they're seen as like commanding officers or some exalted cleric or something like that. Somebody, you kiss the Pope's ring and things like that. That's not a biblical picture. That's not the case at all. Just like all Christians, they're servants. And who are they servants of? Well, what does it say? They'll be a good minister, diakonos, of Jesus Christ. So they're the servants of Jesus Christ. So are you. We've already seen Paul describe this as a fundamental truth to the pastoral role. We saw that. Let's back up. Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, For I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Talking back to that, we're talking about this, this pastoral role as a servant. And Paul uses the future tense here in verse 6. He says, Thou shalt be a good minister. You will be in the future a good minister. Which tells me he expects Timothy to embrace this instruction that he's giving. He's, he's about to give him some instructions. This is what you're going to have to do. And I'm expecting you to make good on that. See, Paul has confidence in it. How can Paul have confidence in this? Because he knows what fuels Timothy. He knows what's driving Timothy. He describes him. Here's how I know he knows. Nourished up. Sounds like fuel, right? Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. See, Timothy lives off those words of faith and good doctrine. So a question, is that true of you? Is that what you live on? words of faith and good doctrine. See, Timothy was loyal to the foundational teachings of the Christian faith. And he's re- it's reasonable to expect that he's going to pass those traits along to those people who follow him. Right? That's, that's what the job is. So to be nourished up in these things implies that he's got more than an intellectual grasp on these teachings. It's more than just an intellectual grasp. He's made it an essential part of his life. I need nourishment to live. Timothy needs this nourishment of the words of faith and good doctrine in order to live spiritually. That's something to think about, isn't it? So then we move on to verse 7. He says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness." So, in the same vein as the false teachings that we've been looking at for the last five verses, <clears throat> Timothy needs to reject those profane and old wives' fables. Now, I think it's interesting that those fables are placed right beside the good words of faith and doctrine that we just finished looking at. Here's good faith and doctrine, you need to be nourished up in that, but reject These profane old wise fables. It puts them in really stark contrast, doesn't it? Did you know that some things that some people in the church believe are so far beyond the realm of true doctrine that a true believer shouldn't even give them the time of day? We shouldn't even address it. We shouldn't be bringing ourselves down to that kind of level. They don't even deserve the dignity of acknowledgement sometimes. That doesn't mean we need to be rude to them. We know that. from How do you know that, Brother Dan? Well, let's go to Titus chapter 3, verse 2. We'll take a little trip. Just a couple of pages over. Titus 3, verse 2. Uh, talking about end times, how things are going to be. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. False teachers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of that, those that are good, traitors, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. He's telling them to turn away, but you don't have to be rude. Paul's trying to make sure that our focus is on truth and good doctrine not being distracted by falsehoods and myths that are going to surround us. Did you know that falsehood and myth surrounds us today? It sure does, in the church and outside. Uh, You know, this is especially a blight today with so many Christian online forums and blogs that are dedicated to conspiracy theories, to legends, to hot-button issues that don't really matter. You don't have to go very far to find them. Don't make that your focus. Make your focus... The gospel of Christ and good doctrine. And we don't have to worry about that other stuff. Now, Paul uses very strong uh, words here when he's describing these things as godless. Refuse profane old wives tales. That word is actually godless, profane. uh, Beblilos. We're talking about topics that have zero godly benefit at all. That's what those profane means. And this was a real threat in Timothy's day. As the early Gnostic heretics were starting to get a foothold in the church. I mean, it's amazing. The church was brand new, and there were already Gnostic heretics working their way in with these godless myths. By the way, Gnostic heretics haven't gone away. They just call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons now. Uh, they're still Gnostic heretics. They didn't call themselves Gnostic heretics in those days either. That's what Christians called them. Uh, anyway, they're just uh, the same old Gnostics with a new paint job. There's nothing really new. And see, that's what happens when people start to lose focus on the truth of the gospel and they start to spend their time devoted to truth fables and untruths, and they start falling for these heresies. See, these are the people that Paul tells Titus in chapter 3, we just finished reading some of that, to avoid. So what should Timothy do? Because we all know, we've been in the uh, God's word long enough, we know that it's not enough to not do something. There should always be a positive action, right? We're supposed to refuse... Profane and old wives' fables. But we are to exercise thyself rather unto godliness. See, that's where a lot of people stop with, well, I don't fall in for those fables and uh, old wives' tales and things like that. That's not enough. Are you exercising yourself unto godliness? See, Paul's talking about a true about-face here. Not only are you not doing this but you're going to do something completely different. You're going in the opposite direction. Now, the word here used for exercise is an interesting word. You've probably heard of it. It's gymnazo. Gymnazo in the Greek. You've heard of a gymnasium, right? What do you do when you go to the gym? You exercise. exercise. Very good. All right. People are paying attention today. That's great. Uh, That's right. You exercise at the gymnazo. By the way, does anybody know what gymnotso means literally in the Greek? It's a place to run around naked. Uh, I don't see anybody doing that in the gym. But uh, in any case, uh, we're talking about, if you're exercising, we're talking about having disciplined training regimen. If you're, if you're exercising at a gym... It's with discipline. You've got a goal in mind, whether it's to lose weight, whether it's to strengthen your arms, whether it's to work on your back, whatever it may be, you've got a goal in mind and you've got a disciplined regimen. Do you have a disciplined regimen in godliness? That's what Paul's talking about here. So how many reps? How many sets? How far did you jog in God's Word today? That's the mindset we're talking about. It involves work. Right? We're working out when we... We call it working out when we're exercising. It can't just be something that you just fluff along without any thought, without any effort. It's going to take focus. It's going to take stamina. It's going to take self-discipline. Discipline yourself to grow in godliness. Do you ever wonder why your Christian life just doesn't seem to be growing? Well, what does your workout schedule look like? You know, you're not going to get big arms if you're not working out. Uh, But Paul continues this exercise metaphor here, too. He says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and for that which is to come. So Paul admits here that uh, physical exercise has some benefits. It's good. We should do physical workout. I try to do that. The phrase profiteth little is a very interesting phrase. It's pros oligon. The only other place that it's used in the New Testament is in James chapter 4, verse 14, where it says that our lives are compared to a mist, which appears for a little while. Pros oligon. So bodily exercise profiteth for a little while. That's what he's literally saying here. For a little while. Physical exercise has its benefits, but they only last for a little while. If you stop exercising, do you still get to keep that body of a Greek god like I have? No, you don't You have to keep exercising. You have to keep at it, right? And even then, even if you keep at it till your dying day, It's only going to last as long as your body lasts, and then you die, and then the worms crawl in, and the worms crawl out, (laughs) and it's over. That's as long as bodily exercise lasts. But spiritual discipline and spiritual exercise has lots longer-lasting effects. They last into eternity, he says. Having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come now can i get off topic just for a little bit all right let's talk about physical exercise and our buddy paul here for a minute it's off topic but it's kind of interesting i thought it was interesting i don't know if you'll find it interesting or not but let's think for a minute a lot of preachers and bible believers are lampooned in today's society uh, as they're portrayed in popular culture right They're portrayed in a couple of different ways, aren't they? They're, one, either a 90-pound weakling uh, who's a sniveling little spineless jellyfish. I'm thinking the chaplain in M.A.S.H., right? We all know who, I can't think of his name right now. You know who I'm, yes, that's the one. Uh, Or Ned Flanders from the Simpsons or something like that. They're they're a 90-pound loser who just kowtows to everything. Or they're a great big overweight blowhard who can't shut up. Uh, that's the t- two typical ways that a Bible-believing preacher is pit- portrayed in this world, like it or not. So I did a little bit of research into Paul's life, Paul's traveling. Paul traveled, if you just take the stops that are listed in the book of Acts, he traveled at least 15,000 miles. Uh, about 8,700 of it was on land, probably on foot. Uh, he did roughly the same amount on, by ship, uh, and they weren't luxury ships. Uh, so he did all that over roughly a 30-year period. 15,000 miles over a 30-year period, 8,700 miles of it on land. Paul averaged roughly 300 miles a year on foot, just traveling from place to place. That's not too significant, because when you break that down, you find out that that's just about a mile a day. But remember that, like Acts chapter 20, verse 31, it says that he spent three years in Ephesus. That's the church we're at right now. That's why I picked that one. Spent three years in Ephesus. So he was traveling around inside of the city of Ephesus because, remember, there wasn't just a first Baptist church of Ephesus. There was six or eight people met here. Then on the other side of town, there were six or eight people met here. Six or eight people met here. Six or eight people met met there. So he's constantly... When it says the church of Ephesus... Paul was traveling all over the city of Ephesus during that three-year period. Paul wasn't a wimp, and I guarantee you he wasn't an overgrown softy either. He was a pretty rugged dude, and he did this for 30 years, so it lasted into his upper years. Even into his older years, Paul was still able to travel pretty significantly. Paul knew something about bodily exercise, but he's saying... That spiritual exercise is even better. There's something more important than physical exercise, and that is exercising godliness. Paul wants Timothy to exercise in godliness until it permeates his being, until it changes him. And we know that's why we go to the gym, right? We We don't go to the gym to stay the same. We go to the gym to change something. I already mentioned a couple of reasons. Maybe we want to get rugged. Maybe we want to look like Mr. Universe. Maybe we want to just simply lose weight. It doesn't matter. But we're going there to change something. And it takes effort. Spiritual exercise is the same way. It's going to take effort, but it will have lasting results. Godliness profits in this life and also that which is to come. Now, I don't know about you, but I look for these kind of promises in God's Word which have benefits in eternity. I don't really care that much about this life here. I'm getting more and more fed up with it every single day. God can call me home any moment, and I'm happy. I don't really care much what happens here. I'm looking forward to those promises that have bearing on eternity, and this is one. I think of this one, and I think of, well, let me give you another one that really cheers me up. Go, move over to 2 Timothy. It's A little off topic, but 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8. This is one of my favorites. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Well, I'm looking forward to that. That crown of righteousness is coming to me. Not because I'm righteous, but because I'm looking forward to His appearing. See, I try to be in decent shape physically, but I want to be in great spiritual shape for eternity. That's what Paul's pointing out. So, move on to verse 9. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you've been counting, this is the third time in 1 Timothy that Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. What I'm saying is good for everybody. He said that, uh, anybody remember, I've told you every time we've mentioned it, what the Greek word is. We're giving you a Greek lesson here. Uh, Faithful saying, pistis logos. Pistis, faith, logos, word. Uh, It's a faithful saying and it's worthy of all acceptation. The first time Paul brought that up was in uh, chapter 1, verse 15. This statement about godly exercise isn't just good for Paul. It isn't just good for Timothy. It's good for every single Christian who has ever lived. It's good for you. It's good for me. So then verse 10, we'll wrap up this thought today. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, Because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. This is why Paul does what he does. He's given us the why right now. We therefore both labor and suffer reproach. Sounds cheering, doesn't it? The goal of all Paul's efforts is that people obtain godliness and the eternal value that comes with it. That's why he labors and suffers reproach. And you know, thinking about labor and uh, suffering reproach, that pretty accurately describes Paul's ministry. When you when you get right down to it, Paul didn't have a rosy ministry. Which kind of uh, sheds an interesting light on some of these uh, health and wealth preachers that you can find on TV. Because uh, I don't see them going into jail and things like that, and getting beaten. Like I see Paul and Silas. I see Paul and Barnabas. Paul and pretty much anybody that hung out with Paul. Uh, Paul wasn't a healthy person to hang out with. But he dealt with all of that. Why? Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Now isn't that an interesting phrase? Does Paul mean that everyone's going to be saved? It says here that uh, God's the Savior of all men. See, the Universalists, we can go right down to the Universalist church in Keene, and they're going to teach that uh, from this verse that uh, God's the Savior of all men. We're all saved. We're all saved due to the work of Christ on the cross. This is one of the verses that they use to back that up. And they can do that because this is another one of those places where the King James does us a little bit of a disservice. See, the word malista, Greek word malista, that word specially, it should really be translated namely, and that'll clarify things up a lot. See, it says that, uh, if we're looking at it that way, oops, I'm in the wrong chapter, there we are, Uh, He's the Savior of all men, namely of those that believe. Not necessarily especially. That uh, word specially meant something completely different 400 years ago when the King James was translated. Over the last couple of hundred years, it's changed its meaning to mean specifically. The salvation that God offers only comes to those who believe. See, that's the importance of study that's that spiritual discipline that we're talking about here that's what paul means study don't just fluff through the bible don't just read it study it look at the original languages and really wrestle out god's word and then you're not going to fall for those false teachings that we can see right down here at the universalist church in keene where we can see in the mormon church and the Jehovah's witness church it comes from a lack of study lack of discipline lack of exercise it's going to be exercise it's going to be tough and it's going to take a long time but in the long run it's going to benefit your eternal life i'm going to close in a word of prayer here lord i thank you for your word i thank you for the promises in your word I thank you for the eternal promises that you give, not just for this life, but to that one that's to come. You're an eternal God, you're a gracious God, and you've blessed us so much.